is the widescreen podcast show number 308 i know october what happened to one in october i yeah i'm an idiot not really what what happened i mean i am an idiot I, i can't deny that but what happened is that once again digital extremes the company behind warframe which is the game that i am addicted to and have been for the past 10 years i am a warframe creator which is uh it's a special recognition from de you know, for streamers or artists or whatever who contribute to the Warframe community regularly. Um, so they had their quest to conquer cancer throughout all of October, and I decided to participate in that. Those of you who have been here for a while know that cancer has been an issue in my family. And, and you know, I lost my father-in-law to cancer two years ago, I believe. My wife's family on her mother's side has a propensity to, uh, well, cervical cancer, so she has to get tested for that regularly. A good friend of mine, her husband died of testicular cancer. There was a guy in in uh, one of my streams during October. Now, I'm assuming he's got, I've, you know, he's got no reason to lie to me about this one, but he said that he's 26 years old and he's already had testicular cancer. And now I've, I've realized that for the past maybe five years, someone who I was who I went to school with in high school or their spouse has died of cancer at least every year for the past five years so participating in quest to conquer cancer is important to me I streamed I think I streamed more in October than I did for the entire previous section of the year I don't know might be exaggerating that one I don't know all I know is I set a goal for fifteen hundred dollars my community definitely came through and we were able to pull off seventeen hundred and fifty dollars in donations which is awesome, and all of the, uh, everybody who donated to the cause, as well as the merchandise that Digital Extremes had specifically for Quest to Conquer Cancer, in total they were able to raise over $180,000, and all of that goes to the Princess Margaret Foundation for Cancer Research. So, I was a busy little bee last month. Of course, the drawback to that is that the podcast kind of fell by the wayside, I needed a break from streaming and recording and that sort of thing. Plus, I was recording, sorry, I was uh, streaming every single night that I wasn't working my second job. But yeah, some of my regulars have already called me out on, you know, when am I going to get the next podcast now that all of that other stuff is done. So here we are. Here we are. I was called out and it's understandable, completely understandable. So there's a lot of stuff to cover, but what that also means is that some of the things here are going to be a month old or more, which, sorry, but I'm also one of those firm believers that if you didn't know about it, it's still news. You know, the the whole things that, that get revealed about movies behind the scenes that were known to others 20, 30 years ago, and I'm just learning about them. To me, that's news. Yeah, and just because the original announcement happened, or you know, the original discovery happened 20 years ago, doesn't make it any less fascinating for me. So with that said, there is a lot to go over. This could very well be one of the longer podcasts. We'll see what happens. But off to the first bit. And I always cover streaming first, so there's actually a lot of streaming news. So Discovery Plus has raised the price of their ad-free tier. It took effect back in October. Their prices went from $6.99 a month to $8.99 a month. But the advertising tier still stayed the same at $4.99 a month. Uh, The price increase also impacted Canada. Their ad-free tier rose to $8.99 a month. But their ad tier rose to $5.99 a month. So they got jacked up no matter what. Apple TV has also raised their prices. 
Theirs are going up a bit more sharply from $6.99 a month to $9.99 a month, and the cost of their annual plan is going from $69 to $99. And this is after Apple just raised prices last year. So in two years, they went from $4.99 a year to $9.99 a year. And yes, Netflix has also hiked their prices up. Their basic plan has increased from $10 a month to $12 a month, while the premium plan has gone from $20 to $23. Their plan with ads at $7 and their standard plan at $15.49 will remain the same. Meanwhile, over in the UK and France, the basic plan is going up from eight pounds to, uh, sorry, from eight pounds and 11 euros. They're going up from eight pounds and 11, which is, you know, eight pounds and 11 euros for the UK and France to 18 pounds and 20 euros. So there it's going to be almost double. See, this is one of those things where we knew this was going to happen. Everybody is like, well, we hate cable. Cable costs too much. So everybody started their own streaming service, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, if I want that show, so I got to subscribe to that. Well, now I want that show, so I got to subscribe to that service over there. Oh, but this service over here has a show that I want to watch, so I'm going to have to subscribe to that one now. And, you know, well, you know, it's not too bad. It's $7 here, $8 here, da-da-da. It's still cheaper than cable, blah, 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 blah. And now that they've got you, it's time to raise those prices and hope that you won't leave. And hope that you look at it as, well, it's such an incremental change. It's not going to hurt that much. They got you. They know they got you. And now they're hoping that they can jack the price up without you leaving. Now, AMC has released details for their cheaper ad tier pricing. Apparently, a lot of these streaming services are saying that their ad tier pricing is working and people don't seem to mind the commercials, which I guess makes sense if they're used to regular cable TV. My wife has the basic version of Paramount Plus, and she's fine with it. You know, the commercials come in, and she just does whatever and ignores the commercials. So AMC Plus, of course, you know, we've got to have the plus there. Uh, That's going to launch at a $5 price point, whereas the ad-free tier is $9 per month. And it's going to include AMC's programming, as well as Shudder, Sundance Now, and IFC Films Unlimited. It will also include the linear channels for AMC, IFC, BBC America... And Sundance TV. Ah, yes. BBC America, where it's cash cow, is Star Trek The Next Generation, which is by no means a BBC program. Amazon has announced that their Prime Video service will start showing limited ads in uh, early 2024. And here's the weird part. Although, you know what? I kind of appreciate this one. The ad tier will be the default option, which is going to be included with the Amazon Prime membership. But... Rather than jack up the prices of the Prime subscription, what they've been doing, they've been doing that every year for the past few years, uh, the, the subscription price is not going to rise. But users who want to continue watching Amazon Prime Video without commercials will have to pay an extra $3 per month. I freaking appreciate that because I don't use my Prime, my Amazon Prime membership for uh, video or I use it for the music. That's fine. Uh, but I I use it mostly for the shipping. You know, judge me all you want, but my wife and I usually, we spend a lot of money on Amazon to the point that, yes, I'm sure the, the amount of shipping that we're, quote-unquote, saving is more than the cost of the Amazon Prime membership. But, you know, they've raised it every year for the past few years, and I'm like, why? I'm not using Amazon Video. And I don't doubt that I'm not the only person who's complained about that. 
So now what they're doing is if you want the extra perks for Prime Video without commercials, you got to pay a little bit on top of the Amazon Prime membership. And quite frankly, I am okay with that. At least that makes it opt-in. Uh, so the Prime Video programming will roll out uh, early 2024 in the U.S., the U.K., Germany, and Canada. Uh, users in France, Italy, Spain, Mexico, and Australia will start seeing commercials later in 2024. And speaking of rolling out, Paramount Plus has unveiled that they are going to be rolling out uh, their premium and advertising subscription tiers in Australia, Canada, Brazil, and Mexico on November 16th. Meanwhile, their Paramount Plus advertising tier will roll out to select international markets, including Australia and Canada, in 2024. So if you're outside of the U.S. and you're looking for more options for Paramount Plus, they could very well be coming your way. Now, this one probably comes as no surprise. We all know about how Netflix was cracking down on the password sharing because I talked about it here frequently. Disney Plus is doing the same thing now. They are starting to crack down on password sharing. In fact, it's happening sooner than was expected. So November 1st was the launch date for the new ad-supported tier for Disney Plus in Canada, the UK, and Europe. But before they did the launch, they updated their user agreements, which were sent out to Disney Plus viewers. And the user agreement says, you may not share your, your account and subscription outside of your household. Household meaning the collection of devices associated with your primary personal residence that are used by individuals who reside therein. Now, how they identify this, it's actually not necessarily difficult. You know, you, you might be saying, well, now, wait a minute, how are they going to know whether someone is inside my house or not? Well, unfortunately, the technology is there and it's pretty basic to figure out if something is coming from outside your house or not. Now, what was interesting is that analysts were thinking that this wasn't going to start until 2024, maybe even 2025. But clearly, they are already starting it. And if you do have Disney Plus and you are sharing your password with people outside of your household, don't be surprised if you start getting those nasty little messages saying, no, 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 you owe us money now. And this last bit is, I don't want to say it's old news. We've talked about this potentially being an issue probably a year, maybe two years ago. Uh, but Disney is going to be buying out Comcast's stake in Hulu. So Disney is going to pay $8.61 billion to, uh, to get it, and that means that Disney will be the sole owner of Hulu. What that means for those of you who use Hulu, what content will be on it, no way to know. Both Disney and, and Comcast have said for a while now that this was most likely going to happen. But as for what that means for the channel and what's going to be available on it, there's no way to tell at this point. Just going to have to wait and see. There is some news on the uh, DVD and physical media front. Some good, some bad. The bad, for me particularly, is that Netflix has indeed mailed out its last DVD. Uh, yeah, they published a, a blog post all about it. They ended it in September and said that uh, in 1998, we delivered our first DVD. This morning, we shipped our last. And yeah, so I got that email too. It says, uh, it was a Dear John letter, of course. That's all I get are Dear John letters. In 1998, we shipped our first DVD. This morning, we shipped our last. For 25 years, members like you have shared the joy of seeing a new movie in your mailbox. Thank you for being part of a generation of movie lovers who welcomed our red envelopes into your homes. Your DVD subscription is now closed. There's nothing more you need to do to close out your DVD membership. We will not be charging you for any unreturned discs. Please enjoy any discs you have at home for as long as you like. 
So, yeah, thank you for loving our iconic red envelopes, sharing movie nights with us, and being part of our final season. And indeed, I do have two of the, Net- the last two Netflix discs, or DVD.com, however you wish to look at it. It's still Netflix. I do have the last two discs on my desk. It was uh, The Great Muppet Caper and Bridesmaids. Judge me all you want. Don't care. It sucks because they had so many things available that are still, to this day, not available on streaming. In some cases, never have been available on streaming. Lots of indies, lots of unknown titles, lots of foreign films. And yeah, it it sucks. Uh, If they said, you know what, could we please raise your prices by, whatever, $5 a month to help keep us afloat, I would have said, yep, go ahead. And what's even worse is that Redbox has made overtures for the past few years to buy you know, DVD.com and buy the infrastructure and so forth, and Netflix continually rejected it. Why? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Did they consider it to be a threat to streaming? No, I doubt that, because there are, there's the convenience of streaming that you don't have with discs. You know, they're, they're, they're targeting two separate kinds of audiences. But yeah, so the red envelopes are no more. I do have my last two red envelopes. I have my last two discs. Regrettably, I was not one of those who was chosen to get 10 random discs sent to them. Would have been nice, but whatever. But in response to Netflix DVD shutting down, Redbox has announced that they are going to increase their number of catalog and niche titles in their kiosks in order to serve former Netflix disc customers. So they said that they're going to work to provide content uh, that the former DVD.com audience would enjoy to all of its 29,000 Redbox kiosks nationwide. They said they're going to include hard-to-find films such as Ugly Dolls, uh, catalog titles titles such as Jerry Maguire, and that, of course, is going to be in addition to, you know, recent blockbuster films like Oppenheimer and Barbie. And, I mean, I even checked. Within a uh, 12-mile radius of my house, there are 19 uh, Redbox kiosks. So they're still out there. And if you're a Doctor Who fan and you still like your discs, uh, this is something you might be excited about, assuming they don't sell out. But on November 14th, there's going to be a 6,000 limit box set. So these are going to be for Blu-rays. And the set comes with an exclusive figure set featuring all five Doctors represented. Although there have been more than five Doctors. I don't know why they're saying all five. But the big draw here is that the, the uh, first four seasons of Doctor Who, the ones that uh, starred Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant. Oh, I see. They're not talking about the classic Doctor. How are they... Okay, Whovians. There are two different categories of Doctor Who. Really? But anyway, the collection also contains various series for other incarnations played by Matt Smith, John Hurt, Peter Capaldi, Joe Martin, Jodie Whittaker. Uh, More special features, all that other stuff. 13 seasons of Doctor Who across 60 discs. 60 Blu-rays. And for all of that, you would have to shell out $175. I'm not kidding. That's why this is going to sell out ridiculously fast. 60 discs for $175. Apparently, Amazon has already sold out. It's supposed to be available at Walmart. Chances are that's sold out by now. I mean, this is something that really you would have thought would scale up more toward $300, $400. But you better hurry quickly. If it's not sold out, then you're probably lucky. And if it is sold out, you're probably going to end up... Look, I'm not even going to suggest it. Please don't pay scalpers. Please. And I mean that for anything. Concert tickets, video game consoles, whatever. Graphics cards, it doesn't matter. Please don't pay scalpers. Seriously, because all you're doing is making them have the desire to scalp even more in the future. Please 
don't pay scalpers. It, it's just, it's not worth it. Uh, so that you might have read an article saying that Best Buy is going to end DVD and Blu-ray disc sales next year. Honestly, big deal. So many outlets made it seem like, oh, Best Buy, this is going to be the death of digital... No, I don't want to say that. They, they call it the death of digital media, which, yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> it's, it doesn't... So what? Best Buy did have some... A lot of things like uh, Blu-rays would have their Steelbook exclusives. A lot of collectors loved the Steelbooks that, that Best Buy put out. But the simple fact of the matter is that Best Buy is not a big player in the physical disc market. And I've already mentioned, I mentioned in the previous podcast, that Scarecrow Video is one of the largest independent video stores in the U.S. They're now making their, their rentals available online, and they also sell Blu-rays and DVDs and other things. You know, I mentioned in the last podcast that Disney was selling that big 118-disc animated film collection. So anyway, you know, the, the people who, for whatever reason, hate physical discs, even though they are under no obligation to buy them have decided, oh, this is the death of physical media, blah, 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 which ended up sending uh, Bill Hunt over at the Digital Bits onto a little bit of a rant. Now, the Digital Bits, if you support physical media, I recommend that you go over to his page and you go there regularly. He's been doing this for 26 years in the industry, and he talks about DVD, Blu-ray, Ultra HD, any kind of physical format, and he put out a rather long rant about the whole thing and, and Best Buy going down. And he brought out some points. Again, he is in the industry. He is part of the, of the Hollywood industry. But he came out and said some things that, well, first off, the whole thing about, oh, my God, Best Buy is going to be the death of physical media. Well, the thing is, Best Buy only had 4% of the disc market. And most of that was online sales, not physical in-store sales. I mean, let's face it, Best Buy now, when you go into a Best Buy, they're focusing more on lifestyle things, phones, smartwatches, cameras, streaming, Video games, consoles, PC hardware to a limited degree. But they were never really a big player in disc sales. 4% of the market. Meanwhile, Walmart, which we talked about in the last podcast, has a massive 45% of the physical disc market. That's why they're looking to partner with or maybe even buy out studio distribution services to kind of streamline the whole disc sales. So Walmart has a 45% market share. Amazon has roughly an 18% market share. And Target has about a 6% market share. Target was selling more physical media than Best Buy. And then on top of that, you've got Barnes & Noble, Diabolic uh, DVD, Zavi, DVD Empire, Shout Factory. Disney Movie Club is still selling discs, and, and they're still selling exclusive discs through their Disney Movie Club. If you want Avatar in 3D Blu-ray, the new Avatar movie, you can get it on 3D Blu-ray through the Disney Movie Club. Criterion is still selling discs. Kino Lorber is constantly coming out saying, hey, we're getting a new 4K remaster, and that's going to be available on Ultra HD. But here's the thing. According to the Digital Entertainment Group, consumers just in the U.S. spent $2 billion this year so far buying discs. $2 billion just in the U.S., that doesn't sound to me like physical media is going to be going away anymore. $2 billion just in the U.S. is a hell of a lot of money. Now, another thing that he has in the article saying is that uh, a complaint I've heard recently from insiders is that studio executives wish the U.S. was more of a collector's market like Japan, which, yeah, I mean, there are several 3D Blu-rays that are not available over here that are available in Japan. The problem is that to import them means it's like $80 for a disc, so that's a problem. 
But clearly, I mean, Hollywood is still looking at disc sales in the U.S. and saying, God, I wish the U.S. was more like Japan's market. But the problem is these studios aren't doing anything to try to make it a collector's market here in the U.S. You know, they've done absolutely nothing to to make it to a point where people want to buy discs. Now, apparently, Disney is finally starting to dip their toes back into making physical media available. Uh, Warner Brothers is just kind of... Well, it's kind of... It's weird. Warner Brothers is just doing their thing. They're releasing a couple titles a year. But the Warner Archive is constantly releasing discs. I get the emails from them every few weeks, every month, with, yeah, here are all of these Warner Archive movies that are going to be released soon. So, I don't know. There's There's a left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing thing over at Warner. And Sony is finally starting to bring some of their, their big catalog titles into print. But the crazy part is, apparently, whatever they release keeps selling out. Lawrence of Arabia sold out. The Ghostbusters Ultimate Collection was completely sold out before its street date. And there were even people who complained that their pre-orders were canceled because there wasn't enough inventory. So the demand is there. But he also said that uh, he was recently asked by a rep for a studio that shall remain nameless to provide a list of titles that he thought 4K fans would really be excited to own on the format. So he submitted a list of 50 titles that he knows, quote-unquote, for a fact, would sell like hotcakes. And not only did he provide an A-list of major titles, but a list of B, uh, but a B-list or deep catalog titles that have historically sold very well on disc for, you know, coming up for a new 4K release. So if he's being asked by studios, hey, what do you think would sell well on disc? Obviously, there's still interest. You know, and again, just, just a little reminder here. Just in the U.S., 2 billion discs have been sold to date this year. $2 billion just in the U.S. And there they are saying that they wish we were more of a collector's market like Japan. <laughs> How much are discs selling in Japan? Must be a hell of a lot. And interestingly, to kind of support this, and I've been complaining a lot about how a lot of the TV shows and, and so forth that have been getting pulled off of various streaming channels. I mean, completely removed, not just they're not making any more or the show's been canceled. I mean, they're physically, well, as much as you can physically remove from streaming. You know what I'm getting at. But now there are a whole bunch of TV shows and movies that were available last year that you can't get anymore. So it would make sense to put some effort to putting those into a physical format, but Sony just announced their new PS5 Slim model. Of course, they're going to have a disc-based and a disc-less version, but interestingly, which has not been done for the past one or two generations of consoles, the disc-less version is going to have the option of adding the disc later if you want. Now that I find very interesting because it's like they're saying people might have regrets later on down the road that they can't play discs. So it sounds to me like Sony is suspecting something that the people who are claiming that physical media is about to die are completely oblivious to. So anyway, that's, that's my little mini rant. Bill Hunt has a much better rant. He goes over a lot more of, of additional information, including just a partial list of places that still sell DVDs and Blu-rays. And the list is a lot bigger than you might think. But I'm curious, if, if you are considering getting back into the physical market, whether it's, even if it's records, that's fine too. If you're considering coming back into the physical market, what is it that's bringing you back in? Or if you were never really in that market in the first place, what is it that's, you know, pulling you into it? I'm curious. Let me know. Podcast at widescreen.org.
And now we get to talk about the box office. So this past weekend, Five Nights at Freddy was number one, brought in about $19 million domestically. So far, it's brought in $113 million, which is, I mean, that's not insignificant considering it's yet another PG-13 horror movie. Although it had a massive drop from week one to week two, it lost 76.2%, which that's significant. Uh, one of the things that I've heard about the movie is that it's great for fans of the video game, but if you're not a fan of the video game, it probably doesn't have a whole lot to offer. But we'll see what, we'll see what its longevity is. Uh, Taylor Swift's uh, The Eras Tour brought in $13 million this past weekend for $166 million. That's just domestically. Internationally, she's so far brought in $231 million. Killers of the Flower Moon brought in $6 million, so it's now at 52 domestic, uh, 66 internationally, so that now has brought in $120 million worldwide. Which, keep in mind, this is a movie from Apple. Apple, you would think that they would want to push this onto their streaming service, but obviously this is Martin Scorsese, and he, if he wants to put it theatrically, you don't say no. Priscilla has come in at the number four spot, bringing in $5 million, which it was its first weekend, so that's all good. And Radical, a small movie from Pantelion Films, comes out at $2.6 million, rounding out the number five spot for the weekend. With the remaining top five going to The Exorcist, Believer, Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie, After Death, What Happens Later, and Freelance. Now, Oppenheimer is still in theaters, not a lot, just a few hundred here in the States, but it is right now at $948 million worldwide. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's obviously a uh, complete success. And Barbie is still in a couple hundred theaters as well. That's still up there. And in total, Barbie has brought in $1.4 billion globally. So globally, I mean, <laughs> it's been this has been an absolutely crazy year for movies. Uh, Barbie has brought in $1.4 billion worldwide. The Super Mario Brothers movie has brought in $1.3 billion worldwide. Oppenheimer, $948 million to date. Guardians of the Galaxy, $845 million. Fast X, $700 million. With Spider-Man, Little Mermaid, Mission Impossible, Elemental, and Ant-Man and the Wasp rounding out the top 10 so far. Well, actually, you know what? I They're pretty much going to be there. I think we're at the point now where that list is the way it's going to be at the end of the year for the top 10 earners. And I'm I'm curious to see in January, February, whenever they release you know, the actual final numbers for the global box office. I'm, I'm eager to see what kind of number they come up with for total ticket sales. Place your bets, ladies and gentlemen. Place your bets. As I'm sure you're aware, the SAG-AFTRA strikes are still going on. Nothing to report there. Um... Right now, it looks like one of the major sticking points is the use of AI and digital images. Supposedly, now the studios are insisting, you know, with their their latest, this is our last best offer, which means nothing if they realize that it's not going to work, and then the next offer will be their last best offer. But apparently, and not surprisingly, the latest sticking point comes all about using AI, computer-aided imagery, and so forth regarding actors, especially deceased actors. So according to this, the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television, you know, the, 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 the freaking AMPTP, wants to secure scans of performers who get more than $32,000 per TV episode or more than $60,000 for movie roles, which is just... 
I don't know. I mean, that, that's scary in and of itself. They're looking to get rid of live actors. That's what it comes down to. And supposedly the language of the latest offer would see that studios and streamers can secure the right to use the scans of deceased performers without the consent of their estate. Now, of course, the studios are disputing this. and This is all not official. This is according to a studio source saying no, that uh, they would have to secure consent from a deceased performer's authorized representative who owns the exclusive rights. And any time the studio wants to reuse a scan of a performer, it will have to gain consent from that person and negotiate compensation. So anyway, I mean, it looks like what the studios are trying to do is just get as many virtual actors as possible. They've already been caught uh, scanning full-body scans of extras, who of course didn't have anything in their contract saying that they would get paid for any uses of their images, so now they're kind of screwed. But kind of, they are screwed. But okay, so regardless, yeah, so the uh, all of the negotiations are still going on. Maybe this will be like last time. Remember the last episode I said that Watch, you know, the the day that I upload the podcast or the day after is when um is when the WGA strike would end. Sure enough, the day after I uploaded the previous podcast, that's when they made the announcement that yeah, hey, we have an agreement with the Writers Guild. So maybe that's maybe that'll happen this time too. Obviously, the Super Mario Brothers movie was a huge hit. We talked about that earlier, made over 1.3 billion dollars globally. So it's no surprise that Nintendo is looking to continue this with other franchises, but the one that people had been speculating the most was The Legend of Zelda, and that has now been confirmed. The Legend of Zelda is going to be the next Nintendo movie. Interestingly, though, they're not going with Universal like they did with the Super Mario Brothers movie. This time they're going with Sony. But apparently this has been, uh, this has been in the works for a few years now. Wes Ball, who is the director behind the Maze Runner movies, he's going to be directing. And yes, Shigeru Miyamoto is set to produce. In fact, he released a statement saying, We have now officially started the development of the film with Nintendo itself heavily involved in the production. It will take time until its completion, but I hope you will look forward to seeing it. Well, duh, it's Zelda. Zelda has a huge, huge fan base. Hell, even within my own house, Zelda has a huge fan base. So that's it. Who knows how long it's going to be? Maybe 2026, 2027. Who knows? But I would actually suspect that it's going to be sooner rather than later. Because uh, uh, now we get to start to speculate whether the Zelda movie is actually going to do better than the Super Mario Brothers movie. Maybe, maybe not, but we'll find out. Courtesy of the ongoing strike, Disney has delayed the uh, live-action Snow White movie. Starring Rachel Zegler, uh, was supposed to be out on March 22nd of next year. It's now been pushed back to March 21st of 2025. While at the same time, they're pushing Pixar's uh, animated tentpole Ilio, which was supposed to be March 1st of next year. That's now getting pushed back to June 13th of 2025. Those of you who are fans of Will Ferrell's movie Elf are going to be happy to hear that its 20th anniversary is... Well, man, that might not be <laughs> so much of good news. That it's, yeah, the movie is 20 years old. But in celebration of its 20th anniversary, it is coming back to theaters. So the celebration has already kicked off in New York City. But from now until January 1st, uh, shoppable window displays are going to be shown in the uh, Empire State Building's 5th Avenue lobby. You get a photo opportunity with a life-size version of Buddy the Elf on the 86th floor observatory starting November 10th. 
And there will be Elf movie screenings on December 3rd, 10th, and 17th on the 80th floor, uh, well, on the building's 80th floor. So they say complimentary candy, snacks, and beverages will be provided. So if you're in the New York City area, that's going to be something for you to go to. And as for the rest of us, Elf will be returning onto the big screen in participating North American and UK cinemas beginning on November 17th. One of the things that I've argued for, God, for years is that theaters should be showing more of, of those kinds of shows that most people won't be able to see. Broadway shows. Let, you know, not everybody can go to New York City to watch Broadway shows. If you don't live in a particularly you know, populated area, then maybe your ability to see concerts is going to be limited. I mean, look at Stop Making Sense coming back into theaters. Obviously, Taylor Swift is raking in a whole bunch of money, $230 million. And maybe, maybe this means that we're going to start to see more concert films in the theaters. And coming up next in that particular thing is Beyonce. Her Renaissance World Tour is going to be hitting the big screen starting on December 1st. And this is yet another concert tour that is hard to get tickets from, or for, whatever. Me English goodly. But supposedly the film will run a minimum of four weeks. It looks like at this point that it's exclusive to AMC theaters. That might change. But if you've been trying to get to the Beyonce Renaissance World Tour and you haven't had a chance to it, to do it, then maybe you'll be able to see it at an AMC theater near you starting December 1st. Hopefully this is going to be something that you see regularly. I'm a little concerned that it's going to be restricted to the really, really, really big names. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll start taking a chance with some smaller names and you know, we'll see what happens. Michael Gambon, the British stage legend who also played Dumbledore in six of the eight Harry Potter movies, has died. A Dublin native, he was nominated 13 times for an Olivier Award and won twice in 1986 and 1990. He then added a Tony Award nomination back in 1997. And a little fun fact, that in the early 70s, he actually rejected an invitation from producer Albert Broccoli to audition for James Bond. So the story behind that is when George Lazenby's performance on Her Majesty's Secret Service didn't live up to expectations, Broccoli met with Gambon in London to discuss possibly being James Bond, to which he responded that he was too fat, that Gambon himself said this, said that he was too fat and said, my teeth are like horses' teeth. And of course, that means that the next James Bond film went to Sean Connery with Diamonds Are Forever. He also was in several Hollywood movies, uh, including The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover, Toys, uh, The Gambler, uh, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, but of course, the role he will probably most be known for, especially younger crowds and, you know, current generation, is that of Albus Dumbledore. Michael Gambon was 82. Burt Young, who is probably best known uh, as the uh, brother-in-law of Rocky in the Rocky films, has died. But he actually starred in a number of movies. Chinatown, 1974, The Pope of Greenwich Village, Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. Went on to play four movies with his friend James Caan, uh, Cinderella Liberty, The Gambler, The Killer Elite, uh, Harry and Walter Go to New York, and went on to a number of other Hollywood movies. And he even made a Broadway debut in 1986 opposite Robert De Niro in Cuba and His Teddy Bear. But he will most likely be best known as brother-in-law Pauly in all six of the Rocky films, which actually earned him a supporting, Oscar, a supporting actor Oscar nomination for his turn in the original movie. 
Bert Young was 83. And finally, Richard Roundtree, who broke ground with his signature role in the Shaft movie franchise, has died after a brief battle with pancreatic cancer. Cancer! Cancer! Here we go again. He's best known for playing Detective John Shaft in the 1971 action thriller, and of course all of its sequels, for which he earned a new Star of the Year Golden Globe and was hailed as the first black action hero. And the Academy also took notice of that because the theme from Shaft, which was done by Isaac Hayes, won the Oscar that year for the best song. In 2000, Shaft was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry, and shortly after that, it was named one of the best films ever made by the New York Times. So Richard Roundtree also starred in a bunch of other movies, including 1981's Inchon, uh, that was opposite uh, Laurence Olivier, City Heat, 1984, Seven, George of the Jungle, Body of Influence, and was last seen uh, last year in the Paul White's comedy Moving On. But, undoubtedly, he will always be known for his role as Shaft. Richard Roundtree was 81. Once in a lifetime, there comes a motion picture which changes the whole history of motion pictures. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it! Back in the cinemas in this special new edition. I told them we already got one. With up to 25% more peril. No, it's too perilous. We are the knights who say... Bring your friends. Carry coconut shells. Wear fancy dress. This isn't my nose, it's a false one. You could even sing along if you like. Stop that. You're not going into a song while I'm here. See it again for the first time on the big screen. You're mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberry. Or if you've never seen it, see it now for the first time. Or see it for the first time since you last saw it. Or if you're very old or very <laughs> ill, see it for what may be the last time. I'm not dead. I think I, I could pull through, sir. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Back in cinemas for the first time since the last time. God be praised. Yes, you heard it right, coming back for their 48th and a half anniversary, as they call it. Monty Python and the Holy Grail is coming back to theaters on December 3rd and December 6th. So that is Sunday, December 3rd, or Wednesday, December 6th. Fortunately, it is at the theater that is about a mile from my house. I am absolutely going to be there. Might have to get myself some empty halves of coconuts. But if you want to see if it's in a theater near you, and to... Order tickets, I, I guess it's to order tickets. I don't care. Just to see if it's near you. It's holygrailcinemas.com. I will have a link in the show notes. And just remember, it's only a model. With the sag after strike still going on, there have been some release date changes. Now, this one is a rumor, uh, but supposedly uh, the May 3rd launch for Deadpool 3 is going to be pushed back. This has not yet been officially released or announced. But sources are saying that there really is no way for them to make their May 3rd release date at this point. I mean, the, the strike means that the movie is only half finished. So they now have, what, six months, seven months to try to not only get it finished, but then do post-production and all of that. Although these same sources still say that it's a long shot that Captain America Brave New World might take its place. It was on May 3rd, but then was pushed back to July 26th. But... That's farther in production than Deadpool 3 is. So unfortunately, there has been no announcement. There probably, there's going to have to be soon. And of course, I will let you know as soon as I have any information. Tom Cruise's next Impossible Mission movie has been delayed to 2025. It was supposed to come out on June 28th of next year. It's now being pushed back to May, 20, no, May 23rd of 2025. 
So the movie production was shut down to allow for Tom Cruise and so forth to promote uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Then, of course, the strike hit. So that meant that the cast could not return to work on the second part of the movie. Or should I say the second half? Because it's Part 1 and Part 2. You know what I mean. Some other changes. A Quiet Place Day 1 has been moved from March 8th to uh, June 28th of next year. Paramount also moved the Ryan Reynolds movie If up a week, interestingly. That's now going to be May 17th, 2024. Meanwhile, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie that has yet been untitled was supposed to be released on May 23rd of 2025. That has now been pushed back to December 19th of 2025. Another new release date, Paddington in Peru. The third Paddington movie now has a release date for U.S. cinemas of January 17th of 2025, but it will debut in the U.K. two months earlier on November 8th of 2024. Not surprising. Paddington really, that's a U.K. thing more than a U.S. thing. So no, no real surprise that they're getting that one two months earlier. For you horror fans, you're going to be pleased, most likely anyway, to hear that Paramount has set the next Smile movie to be released on October 18th, 2024. I mean, let, let's face it, this one, this is not much of a surprise at all. Uh, that was a surprise hit. It was made for only $17 million on production costs, but it came back to earn $217 million globally. So that wasn't much of a surprise. Uh, the Tiger's Apprentice, which is to be a Paramount animated movie, has been removed from theatrical release and is now going strictly to Paramount+. Plus. And the new Mean Girls movie is going to be coming out over Martin Luther K weekend. Uh, that's got a release date of January 12th of 2024. And finally, back to the horror ones here. Terrifier 3 now has a release date. A third movie really is no surprise. The first Terrifier movie, it's a... Uh, if you like your gore, this is the movie franchise for you. It was made with a $250,000 budget, made $11 million. Interestingly enough, Terrifier 2 was made for pretty much the same amount of money, about $250,000, and that went on to make $15 million worldwide. This new one is said to have a budget that goes over a million dollars, and that is set to come out on October 25th of 2024. And finally... We can kick it into the opposite extreme when it comes to very kid-friendly movies. Paw Patrol 3 has been announced. Not really a big surprise here. The first Paw Patrol movie came in with uh, $144 million worldwide. The current one is sitting at $183 million worldwide. There is no detail on anything. All they're saying is that it's been announced for 2026. So, sometime that year. After more than three years of renovations, Netflix and the American Cinematheque are going to be reopening Hollywood's iconic Egyptian theater next month, just in time to showcase their awards lineups. So the landmark, which was built during the silent era, has been dark, basically since March of 2020. Netflix bought it a few months later and then committed it to a major renovation. So the plan right now is for uh, American Cinematheque to show independently uh, independent program movies Friday through Sunday. Netflix will use it for screenings, premieres, special events on Monday through Thursday, as well as making select screenings of its movies available to the public. So by the time you hear this, the grand opening will have already kicked off. That's scheduled for November 9th. And as part of the festivities, they're going to have a screening of David Fincher's The Killer uh, with a Q&A with the filmmaker. But from the 10th through the 21st, 
they're going to have Ultra Cinematech 70 Fest, which is a longtime annual festival showcasing 70 millimeter films from past and present. Someday, someday, that's on my bucket list to see a 70 millimeter film in the theater. In a surprise move, supposedly, Star Trek IV is still, they're still trying to get it to go. It's really kind of weird. If you remember, we've talked about this before. When they last mentioned that there was going to be a Star Trek movie, they said, oh yeah, and it's going to be in the Kelvin timeline, meaning Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, and so forth. And they came out and said that they had no idea that that was going to be a thing. So Paramount announced the movies without telling the actors that the movie was going to be there, which was a really, that was a stupid move because that puts the cards in the actors' hands. Oh, you've announced a movie that we're coming back for? Guess how much our salary's going to be, Paramount? So honestly, I think Paramount really screwed that one up. But apparently, according to the writer, the movie is still on the tracks. So according to uh, writer-director Lindsay Anderson Beer, it is, it's still on the tracks. I love that project, and it was another one that I had to hop off to direct this movie. Uh, this movie being her upcoming Pet Cemetery Bloodlines prequel. But I love that everyone involved... Okay, interesting English. But I love that everybody involved with that project, period. That's not a sentence. I don't know what that is, but that's the quote. So, I mean, who knows? I kind of think that with the success of Brave New World, Discovery, and other Star Trek franchises, that maybe instead of going back to Kirk, Spock, Scotty, Uhura, and so forth, it's time to just branch off. You know, if you're going to redo the Star Trek franchise, just, just make it something completely new. Or, 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 or... Ha ha ha. See, I can't, I, if you haven't seen the finale for Picard, little bit of a spoiler alert... Okay, well, actually, let, let me put it this way. The last episode of Picard, for those of you who've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. There is a new starship with a new captain, and one of the teases is that, you know how Picard had, make it so. This new captain did not utter their phrase that's the equivalent of make it so. They, they cut just to tease the audience, and off it goes. So we don't have a resolution on that one. I would not mind at all seeing a new Star Trek movie franchise with that ship and that crew. For those of you who have seen Picard, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. You can't, and you know it. So anyway, that would be my wish. I would be really excited to see a new Star Trek movie franchise with, with that ship and crew. Thoughts? Thoughts? Let me know. Podcast at widescreen.org or any of the other ways that you know how to get a hold of me. First time in New York history, people froze to death in the middle of July. What is it? The death chill. The power to kill by fear itself. Your veins turn to rivers of ice. Your bones crack. And the last thing you see is your own tear ducts freezing up. Like, literally scared to death? So cool. <laughs> <laughs>
That, ladies and gentlemen, is part of the official teaser trailer for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, the sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, it literally just came out about three hours ago as I record this. It's just a teaser trailer, so there's not a whole lot of information, but it is set to be released on March 29th, 2024, so not too long. What, six months away? Hell, five months away. But if you want to check out the teaser trailer, the link is in the show notes. If you're in the mood to see a Western in the theaters, then good news for you. Horizon, an American saga from Kevin Costner, is going to hit theaters not once, but twice. This movie is actually going to be a two-parter. So chapter one is going to be released on June 28th, and chapter two is going to be released on August 16th. So instead of having a whole year or whatever between them, you've only got six weeks between them. So uh, this movie follows the 15-year span of pre- and post-Civil War expansion and settlement of the American West. And if you're awaiting the Toxic Avenger, yep, we've talked about this, a new Toxic Avenger starring Peter Dinklage. Well, an exclusive first peek has been released. I'm not going to lie, it looks absolutely crazy, just like Toxic Avenger should be. But I'll tell you now, I, I'm not watching the movie. Um, it's it's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it it's comedy gore, but it's still gore. So yeah, I will have a link to the first peek in the show notes. If you are weak of stomach, you might want to avoid that. But if you can get past it and just look at the silliness of it, the movie actually does look like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm sure most of you have heard this by now. Um, when is it when the star of a movie, or you know, at least the star of a scene? is not actually a person or an animal, but is instead a tree. And this is exactly what happened with what is called the Sycamore Gap tree, which is a tree that's, that stands right next to Hadrian's Wall over in the UK. And it was made famous uh, because of a scene in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, that takes place at that very tree. In fact, this Sycamore Gap tree then earned the nickname the Robin Hood Tree. Well, unfortunately, if you had ever planned on going to the UK and going to that particular tree, you won't be able to because the tree has been deliberately cut down. Now, this tree was a popular spot for walkers and photographers, especially since Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves came out. So far, a 16-year-old boy and a man aged in his 60s were arrested on suspicion of criminal, criminal damage, uh, but they were released on bail. But then on October 30th, two men aged in their 30s were also arrested on suspicion of criminal damage. And authorities have said that Hadrian's Wall itself, which was constructed between uh, 122 and 130 AD, has sustained some damage because of the tree falling on it. Now, apparently the stump is healthy, and they might actually be able to do what's called coppice the tree, where new shoots could grow out of the trunk and so forth, but... It could take up to 200 years for the tree to get back to what it was. So seeing Hadrian's Wall is one thing that uh, I, I certainly would love to do. But unfortunately, the tree's not going to be a part of it anymore. And if you never get a chance to get over there, well, at least if you've seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, you've seen it. And finally, we're going to end this with two Star Wars updates here. So uh, one of the holy grails for Star Wars fans is a screen-matched, light-up C-3PO head from the original Star Wars. Uh, this is the crown jewel of an auction that's going on this month. It might even be finished by the time you hear this podcast. And it's expected to sell between $575,000 and $1.1 million. 
This is actually one of the pieces that is owned and worn by Anthony Daniels. And he went on to say in a statement that, I hope this can bring pleasure to Star Wars fans and collectors all around the world and give them a chance to own a piece of the real thing. Well, I mean, there's only one. (laughs) Actually, he's auctioning off a couple of different things from his collection, but this is the big one. So the collection is also going to include things like a pair of C-3PO's fingers from the original movie. Those are expected to go for about 11000 uh, An unopened C-3PO cereal box. Uh, his handwritten Ewok Village speech page from Return of the Jedi. And a couple of other things. So the auction is set to start on November 9th and run through November 12th. Hence why by the time you hear this podcast, it will probably be over. And I'm sure that in the next podcast, I will give you a final price on this. But speaking of Star Wars auctions, in the last podcast, we talked about that X-Wing fighter that had been lost for decades. So as part of the collection of the late Oscar-nominated model maker Greg Jane, it was thought to have been lost for decades. It was recently found in a box in his garage. And this X-Wing has set the record for the most expensive Star Wars screen-used prop ever sold at auction. This was the X-Wing used for Red Leader. It's one of just four of the, the hero filming miniatures with actual articulating servo-controlled wings, lights. Uh, They were built mostly for close-ups and used in the final battle, including the trench run. This thing has sold for $2.6 million, complete with voice crack when I said dollars. Part of me really hopes that stuff like this goes mostly to museums or things like that where the public can see them. But you know what? If you're a personal collector and and you've got enough to pay $2.6 million, well, I guess you can just do whatever the hell you want with it. Send me some of that, you know, just to support the podcast. That'd be nice. Okay. Anyway, that's it. Wow. Less than an hour. I don't know how I did that. I guess I just decided to not ramble as much as I usually do. I can correct that if you want. I can talk about anything for the rest of the podcast, make it go over an hour. No, you're not interested. Okay, fine. I got to get some streaming done anyway. And prop work. Can't forget the prop work. All right, folks, for those of you who live here in America, If you celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you have a good one. If you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, well, I hope that Thursday is a good one for you. Of course, be careful if you're going to go shopping the day after, and this is my annual apology to the rest of the world that we have exported Black Friday to you. I would say that I assure you we will never export such stupidity again, but (laughs) this is is America. We've got a lot of stupidity that we could export to the rest of the world. Anyway, as I say at the end of my streams... Okay, okay, sorry, sorry if that freaked you out a little bit. We have an edit because we have an update. Ladies and gentlemen, it almost happened again. So I had the show recorded. It had gone through all of its post-processing. I had already converted it into MP3. The only thing that I had not done yet was add the, the ID tags inside the MP3 file and then upload it and all that other good stuff. Well, I'm glad I didn't do that because the word has just come out that the SAG after strike is now over. In fact, there are three things that I mentioned in you know earlier in the podcast that uh, some updates have come to light. So I'm going to give you those updates. Sorry, looks like this podcast is going to go over an hour. So as I said, the SAG after strike is now officially over, or at least it will be by the time you hear this. SAG after and the studios have reached a tentative deal on a new contract. That would see Hollywood up and running again within weeks. Now, technically, it hasn't yet been ratified. It's going to be going up for ratification this coming Friday, which might not mean anything by the time you hear this. But as such, also, the specifics of the deal are not going to be made public until 
that process goes through. So as I say it right now, I have no idea what the very specifics of this deal are. They're going to be coming through in the next few days or weeks. But apparently today, as I record this, which is on a Wednesday, uh, the AMPTP told SAG-AFTRA around noon today that it needed to know if a deal was possible or not by 5 p.m. today, saying that it was running out of time to save the broadcast season as well as the 2024 summer movie season, and an agreement was confirmed about a half hour later. So I'm not a lawyer, but that sounds like the studios panicked. They realized that their gambit was not working because keep in mind, there was talk that the studios were more than willing to let this strike go on throughout Christmas uh, so that, you know, the actors and so forth could suddenly have issues with, with money and things like that. Obviously, the studios got called out on that one all over the place, including social media. So that was an oopsie, but it, it does look like the studios have finally agreed that their little stall tactics didn't work. They were putting a, a lot of revenue for next year at risk. And there is now a new SAG after a deal. Number two, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, so I wonder what's going to happen to Hulu now that Disney is buying them out. Well, apparently what's going to happen for now is that Disney is going to integrate Hulu into their Disney Plus app, which means that all of those people who are all about protecting the children will need to go into the app and make sure that it's modified to have parental controls and so forth. Because heaven knows that we can't have children seeing boobies on TV, especially right after Gaston stabs the beast and falls to his death. You know, remember, violence is okay. I mean, they're not really, they're not really comparative, I guess. I can't, shouldn't be making that comparison, but it, whatever. Call me out on it. I don't care. The, the basic premise of what I'm saying, is, you get it. So there's going to be a beta rollout for this, uh, and it is, aimed, it is aimed at letting parents set up parental controls. And the full launch of an integrated Disney Plus, Hulu on Disney Plus app, is expected to launch at the end of March. And, and, once again, I've been proven right because I mentioned it earlier in this podcast. I've been mentioning it for many years now that movie theaters should be showing more than just movies. They should be showing concerts, sporting events. That's another good thing. But I mentioned it just earlier that AMC should be showing more concerts. Well, guess what? They agree. <laughs> AMC CEO Adam Aaron has come out to say just today that the company will definitely be leaning into concert films next year, 2025, beyond, saying the phone has been ringing off the hook since we announced the Eras Tour release and that a significant number of the world's best artists would like to explore doing things with AMC. Now, keep in mind, uh, Taylor Swift's Eras Tour has only at least at least at AMC, I don't know what it's like in other theaters, has only been running on weekends. It's not running during the week, and it still has made $231 million globally. Now, he said that he does not expect Beyonce's Renaissance Tour to be quite as big in the theaters, but he says, we do expect it to be significant and meaningful, and both taken together will provide a healthy chunk of revenue this year. Well, duh. I've only been saying to do this for a couple of years now, especially when COVID hit. You know, once COVID started to... I don't know how what proper way, word to use. Normalize, stabilize, I don't know. I said one of the things that they could do to get people back into the seats is to show concerts. And once again, at least, hey, this is one of the few times that I've actually been proven right. I mean, <laughs> I rooted for HD DVD, so take that as you will. But he also went so far as to thank other exhibitors besides AMC for doing this, saying it was good for AMC because we did it, 
but it was good for our entire industry in terms of incremental revenue. No one would have expected to see that. I did! I did! I called it years ago! I freaking did expect to see that! I said years ago that they should be having concerts at movie theaters! No one would have expected to see... Shut the f... Anyway. But he also does say that AMC is looking to have things like like uh, sports on uh, you know, in the theaters, which also makes sense. I mean, let's face it, sports are actually very much a social event here in the U.S. And yeah, okay, watching a, a game on your big 60, 65, 70-inch TV is cool, but I think you know as well as I that it would be much more impactful to have a room of you know 300 people screaming and cheering and shouting for their favorite team as opposed to a room of 13. Anyway, that's it. Just wanted to give those updates. We now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. God, we need a lot of that nowadays. And I will talk to you at the next podcast. Make sure that you can follow me on Twitch, Twitter, Blue Sky. Yes, widescreen John. I'm on Blue Sky now, seeing as how Twitter has turned into an absolute... Yeah, it's a fuster cluck. It's an absolute nasty fuster cluck. But, you know, what can you do? Okay, anyway, until next time... Doodles! I can pray and trick with a double tongue, but the only fool here is me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. Trying to keep us real. Keep us alive. This day we'll die tonight, and there ain't no exception. We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for Love me in this fable, babe, my heart is in your hand Our time is waiting right outside your door And maybe Is a better day. This podcast is copyright 2023. I have no, I don't, no idea. Don't, whatever. And is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. The widescreen podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberrynoease.com. Theme music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. So bite me, RIAA. Please visit their website at poetsofthefall.com. This has been. And shall be until I'm a bunch of nastiness in the ground. A widescreen.org production. Brave so often run away. No! Bravely ran away, away. I did us. When danger is its ugly head, he bravely turned his tail no! and fled. Yes, brave so often.